This is Around the Rim with Lachina Robinson. All right, beyond the baseline. I don't know if y'all are ready for this. We've had a lot of fun so far this weekend. But I know this is one of my favorite moments at Beyond the Baseline because I have the opportunity to intro one of my dear friends from the ATL and around the country, of course. But ESPNW now is presenting Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Come on, come on up, LaChina. You know, she always brings the Oh, hype. my mic's on. They actually turned my mic on. Thank you, CJ. You're welcome. A hand for CJ. She has been running this whole tourney town. So a hand Not for really, her. though. Yes, just, yes, you have. Just beyond the baseline. Every time I come in here, you're, like, doing something or impacting this room. I love your energy. Thank you. I love That's you, too. That's my girl. Thank you. Um, how y'all doing? Well, thank y'all for coming to uh, Around the Rim Recording. We are going to have a lot of fun. We've got some great guests for you guys. Um, how many of you guys subscribe to our podcast? Raise your hand. All right. Well, we're hoping that if you're not subscribed before you leave, you will just love it so much that you will go back and hit the subscribe button because all we do is talk about women's basketball. Y'all love women's basketball? Of course. That's why you're here. Right. So that's what we do. Um, and it's not just me. We have a great team here for ESPNW. Uh, my producer is Tarika Foster-Brasby. There's Tarika. So if you have any um, things you want to talk about during this time, you can get on Twitter and tweet Tarika at SheKnowsSports underscore if you have any questions, comments as our guests come up. We also have Around the Rim Pod handle on Twitter. So you can also get on there and tweet us during the show. Y'all ready to get started? Now, when we bring our guests up, we're going to talk about a variety of things from what's happening here at the Final Four to women's college basketball in general. The draft is next week. We'll talk right. Excited about that? Oh yes. We'll talk a little bit about the WNBA. Um, but if you have any questions, make sure you write them down because we'll take some answers for trivia gifts. You can get it actually win something while you're here. Um, so we'll ask you some questions, but also ask us some questions. Can y'all hear me? Okay. Okay. Perfect. All right. So let's bring up our first couple of guests. Um, our first guest was actually here last year, I believe, um, at our our live recording, but. You all know her as, what I say, the best passer in the history of women's basketball. Yes, that's right. She was the best, in my opinion, at passing the rock. And she has recently been named to the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Please join me in welcoming Tisha Pinachero. Always looking fly. You can bring me like a pair of shoes or nothing. You can bring me another. Thank you so much for being here. And our next guest is someone that I have gotten to know over the last year or so, but I watched her play, always enjoyed what she did on the court, not only in the WNBA, but her career at Vanderbilt. She's a WNBA champion, and we're just so happy to have her two-time, okay, let me not forget about that, two-time WNBA champion. Tisha may only have one. Okay, that's okay. That's all right. Monarch. Cherie Sam, come on up. And, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with y'all. Good to see you. Thanks for doing this. Um, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Some of these people were just finding out, finding out that they were going to be up here on the stage. So when I see people in the audience, I might say, come on up. So you never know who we're going to bring up here. But you guys go ahead and have a seat. I feel like Oprah in here, right? Like, we, we got to upgrade from last year because we didn't have these comfortable couches in here. Um... 
I guess let's start with what brings each of you to the Final Four. Like, why is it important for you guys to be here um, right now? I'm just a fan. I was excited to come out and see the teams play. I think they have some great teams in the Final Four this year, and it's Tampa. That helps. Yeah, that's nice. Good weather, right? Tisha? Well, I'm kind of working. So for those that don't know, I'm a sports agent now. So I've been on, now I'm on the other side for seven years since I retired. Uh, I work for Sports International Group. So these young ladies that are playing in college and they're graduating, I'm recruiting some of them. They will play in the WNBA and then help them with the contract overseas. So that's the main reason why I'm here. Now, but I'm a, definitely a fan too. I was going to say, because you watch more games than I do. Every time I turn on, you know, when I'm watching the games, I get on my Twitter, and she's already given a rundown of what should be happening in the game, what's not, the game stoppage, the officials are doing too much. Tisha's all over it. Um, who are some of your current clients, people that we would know? Uh, Camille Little is one of them. She just entered the room. Please there give her a round of applause. Camille Little, hey. <laughs> Tar Heels and Phoenix uh, Mercury. Kayla McBride, Courtney Vandersloot, Natal- Natalie Changwa. I mean, we have a pretty, pretty nice agency, and I'm very blessed that they trust me with their career. I take that very serious. Uh, my big boss is Boris. He's been in the business for over 30 years. So we, I mean, we, we do well. We do well. And this is an important aspect for those of us that love women's basketball in its totality, right? Because we have women's college basketball. We have the WNBA. But a big part of a player's career is also overseas. So both of these women have been a part of all of those levels. But to have an agent or someone to help you navigate some of that is important. I mean, I sat down with Asia Durr the other day. We had her on the podcast. And I was like, so what are you up to right now? She was like, oh, my God, I have so much going on. She's picking an agent. She's talking to apparel companies. So all of that is happening for these players. And we'll get back to some of that. But the first thing we have to talk about is we're down to two teams. We are down to two teams. Now, who thought that it would be Baylor and Notre Dame in the final? Raise your hand. Be honest. Not a lot of people. Wow. Kind of a little bit. Um, you guys have probably watched these teams not only here but all season. What do you think it is about Baylor and or Notre Dame that has gotten them to the point where they're going to play for a national championship tomorrow? Uh, well, Notre Dame, well, they're the champions, won. They yeah. can defend their title. Uh, but it's pure score shooters, so they have experience. But with Baylor, I just think they're complete. I mean, you got the Twin Towers, I like to call them inside. Yeah. Kalani and Cox. And then their guards are putting in work defense. So it'll be a good matchup to see them try to lock down a Goomba Wally. I think um, it's going to become a guards. Well, it sounds like you just, um, the way you pose that sounds like you think Baylor may may take it. I'm, I, I think so. Why? I think it's the inside game. I, I like Turner, but I think she's going to have a hard time guarding Kalani down low, Cox at the top. Who's going to guard her? I don't know if, uh, what's Jessica, is it Jessica? Shepard, yep. Who's been playing well. She's been boarding a lot for Notre Dame. She was on the board, like, big yeah. time last night. So yeah. it'll be a great matchup. But overall, I think Baylor has, like, the complete team defensively as well. That yeah. Pull-ups. I'm calling Baylor. Anybody <laughs> calling Baylor? Anybody else got Anybody Baylor? Anybody calling Baylor? Raise your hand if you got Baylor. Y'all feeling, you know what, I feel like there's some people that might try to change their mind. There's some hands that, like, you know, you got to be strong about it. Baylor? Where you at, Baylor? Okay, it's a little better. Um, But that's an interesting point you bring up because I thought 
we think about scoring so often, right, when it comes to basketball. But Breonna Turner's block late in the game, some of the plays that she made defensively, taking away high percentage looks inside, like – but doing that against Kalani Brown versus a UConn team that just didn't have a lot of size or options on the interior, they're going to have their hands full with, with Cox and Brown. What do you think about Notre Dame and Baylor and why they're here? Well, they do it by committee, both teams. They don't depend on one player to really carry the load. Um, Notre Dame's offense is very well balanced, but so is Baylor. I think Baylor depends a little bit more on the inside, like Cherie said. Uh, but I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, I think they we're going to get an overtime game, and the green team is going to win. Baylor also has a bench. Who you say is going to win? Did you say? The team that wears green. Like, they both got green, so I'm not saying anything. <laughs> Wait, That's pretty much what I was trying to say. You can't just... I mean, no, because I'm trying to sign players for both teams. And he said, you pick Notre Dame and I, and I'm not going to sign with you. Nah, nah. Y'all so don't catch me on that. Tisha's clearly worried about signing yeah, players. So that's all right. That's okay. We'll Business. let you, we'll let you do that for right now. Um, Baylor also has a bench. Baylor brings yeah. in some good players off the bench. I haven't seen Notre Dame go that deep on their bench. So. Okay. So you the analyst now too. You see yep. how she's just spitting all the facts? All that. No, I agree with both of you guys. And, you know, one of the discussions we have, and maybe you guys can speak to this as far as how the game has evolved, but one of the discussions we have all the time is, do you have to have offense to win championships, or is it defense that really wins championships? Now, Notre Dame has been one of the top scoring teams all year. So has Oregon. So has UConn. Two of those three are no longer here. But Baylor's been the number one team in the country for most of the year, and it's been their defense that's really anchored them. Is women's basketball getting to a place now where the offense is so good that maybe defense and rebounding still is not the thing that wins championships? I mean, defense is something that you can't control, your effort, your energy. Uh, so I would, if I was a coach, I would be a defensive coach for sure. But obviously – these amazing women starting now thinking, dreaming about the WNBA, dreaming about having a great scholarship. So by the time they're 14, 15, they hire personal trainers and shooting coaches. So you see the level of basketball just continues to grow. And it's on display. I mean, it's been on display all year. The parity women's basketball is getting better and better. And uh, I don't know if it's offense or defense, but definitely you have to score. Whoever scores more points wins, right? So you have to consider offense a little bit. Yeah. What about you? Defense? Sounds like a uh, defensive-minded player. Well, I think you need both. I mean, that block last night, without the block, you don't win, right? So you can say, hey, defense wins games because yeah. without the block, layup. But at the same time, you just need balance. I think you need balance. I don't think you can have one or the other. Yeah. I don't think you can choose. Sound like Debbie Antonelli right now. Offense. <laughs> Uh-oh. Offense, don't tell offense, Debbie. Offense. Debbie. Hashtag shoot till your arm falls off, right? I mean, generations change. I mean, when I played, it was defense. It was like defense rebounding, wins games. Yeah. So I don't think it totally changes where that's not a factor anymore. It's now offense. Yeah. I think it just depends on the philosophy of the coach or the player more than the game. As it's a so- player, you got to do both. Yeah, but I think the reason why this discussion started to happen, honestly, was because Arike Agumbawale, right? Who has Notre Dame winning on Sunday? Raise your hand. Okay, now y'all look loud and proud. Um, But Arike Agumbawale won the national championship on a shot. That was offense, and it was well defended. I mean, defender was right there, so then you start to say, I don't know, you know, because the offense looked looked really good. Um, I'm curious about, like, in your particular positions, how they've evolved over time. For example, the point guard spot. 
We see, you know, Sabrina Unescu, who can handle at the point guard if she needs to, players like that. Um, and now they're scoring the basketball more. Or, you know, just what do you guys see happening that maybe is different from when you played in your particular positions? Yeah, definitely. Point guards these days, they all want to score. I mean, last night Ma Ma Marina had 12 assists, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, she um, actually has the record, I think, in the Final Four for assists. Yeah, which probably. Yeah. Under the radar. Yeah. This is great, yeah. No. So, wait, yeah. what you, wait, what you ask her? You don't have it? I was like, I was no, like, so I only play in one final four, but, um. We're not gonna really, we I think make record for steals, that. maybe. But, <laughs> and turnovers. Anyways. <laughs> uh, yeah, it definitely is evolving. Uh, you see a lot of scoring point guards. Uh, Sabrina, sometimes I even question if she's really a point guard or if she's a two and yeah. what position she will play at the next level as well. Uh, I mean, and it's interchangeable. Even sometimes Young brings the ball up and Marina plays it too. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. You know, they do it by committee. But true, true point guards, I think they, to me, you know, I'm old school. So they make their teammates better and they are pass, you know, they think pass first. Uh, and they really get the team going. But these days, you know, everybody likes to score. So I, I can't blame them. Yeah. Yeah. I like playing with pass first point guards. <laughs> you get more shots. More shots for me. Um, I mean, I play with some really great point guards. Pass first. I mean, I play with Teresa Edwards. I play with Jennifer AZ, uh, Dawn Staley. So I've been blessed throughout my career to play with some really great point guards. Sue Bird. Um, so I think we've always had great scores. I think about players. We had Tweety Nolan who could score. I mean, Gumawali, Tweety, mid range. Um, who else? Betty Lennox. Great scores. So I think we've Keisha Sells. So I think we've always had great scores. Um, I think nor now it's players are more versatile. Yeah. Uh, you have McBride. What's the other player for Vegas? Vegas. Yeah. Uh, What's the other Vegas player? Just graduated. Just came out. Asia Wilson. No, the Kelsey board. Plum. Kelsey Plum. Kelsey Plum. Oh. Another like point guard scorer yeah. could be a two. So yeah, I think um I think in that way it's definitely more versatile. But I think they could play both positions as well. Okay, I'm gonna put you guys on the spot. Now we've talked a little bit about we touched on the WNBA. We've talked about the college scene. If you had to choose right now, dang, Tisha's not really gonna answer this question, but we're gonna try to make her anyway. Um, what player that you've watched play? In all of college basketball this year, would you want to play on the on your WNBA team if you had a team? I didn't say Just you had to one? pick them first. I didn't say you had to pick them first. But one college player that you would I'm want. I'm going to pick a, a, a post player. I'm a point guard. I'm going to pick Megan Gustafson. I mean, how many assists she's going to give me? She right. miss. Okay, oh. Megan Gustafson so fans out pick. here, right? Okay, because she's going to finish. I yeah, I, I, I'm going to have 20 assists a game. Just give her the ball. She's going to make it. Hey. Yeah, she is going to. I love her, by the way. We had her on the podcast. If you haven't checked it out, she was fantastic. We learned a lot about Gustafson. What about you? Who would you take? One player. One player? That's hard. Who am I taking on my team? I want a point guard because I want to shoot. So I'm taking an Esco. Oh, why? What do you like about her? She passes the ball. She does pass the ball. <laughs> on, she, she does pass the ball. No, she's she's a complete. To me, she can make other players better. Yeah. Uh, and in the pro game, if I I'm going to run the pick and roll, I think yeah. that opens up a lot for her game on the next level. Yeah. Um. So I'll work with her that way. And she could shoot. So I'm gonna build around her. 
Okay. All right. We're going to take a question from the audience, but I'm going to warm you guys up on our next question before we take our question from the audience. This is going to be it. If you had to be coached by one of our final four coaches, which one would you choose and why? Meaning, which one of them do you think would get the most out of you? Which coaching style? Are you going with Muffet, Kelly Graves, Gina Oriema, or Kim Mulkey? And fashion cannot come into play in this decision. Um, question from the audience for one of these two. Anybody have a question? We'll bring a mic around to you. Anybody have a question? Somebody. Right here in the front. Tarika's will bring you the mic. Tarika's like Kiki Shepherd. Give her a hand. Give yeah, Tarika yeah. a little. <laughs> yes. Can I take you back all the way to when you were recruited? And can you tell me a little bit more about that process and what schools that you were recruited from and how that went? Ooh, that's a long time ago. Um, so for those that don't know, I grew up in Portugal, small country next to Spain in Europe, right? So I was 16 years old and I was playing with my national team, the under 16 team, but we we're competing in the, in the division one, uh, championship in the league. And I played against an, a team that had an American. And after the game, she came up to me and she said, you need to go to the States. And I said, I want to. I mean, at the time we didn't have email or I didn't have a cell phone or anything like that. So I had to give her my parents home number. And two weeks, uh, two years later, she became the assistant coach at Old Dominion. And she told the head coach, you have to go to Portugal and recruit this kid. She's really good. So Wendy Larry was my coach at uh, college and, and Donovan, rest in peace. She, uh, they both came to Portugal and they recruited me. You know, this, back in the day, this is like 1993, you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit different and I couldn't do any research or anything. So I came on a visit to Old Dominion. They took me to the beach and they gave me seafood and I said, where do I sign? I'm coming here. So <laughs> that was my story. <laughs> There's no internet. No internet. I still had to write to my parents, <laughs> postcards and letters, send them in the mail. By the time they got it, two weeks later, we already talked on the phone. All the news were old. But, yeah, you know, these kids have a good these days. They don't even know. But Awesome. I was a little bit more traditional as it is now. Recruited by different schools. I got five visits. I went. Let's see if I can remember. I went to Georgia, visited UGA. Uh, Coach Landers, still there, recruiting me there. Uh, then I went to LSU, Coach Gunner, and Pokey recruiting me there. Where else did I go? And then obviously Vanderbilt, I where I signed at Vanderbilt. Um, but the other two, I think it was Tulane, was another college there. Uh, and my last college, I think, uh, was UNO, University of New Orleans. I grew up in Louisiana. So took my five visits. They took five home visits, and I ended up signing with Vanderbilt. And who was Good coaching question. at Vanderbilt at the time? Uh, Jim Foster, Cammy Etheridge uh, were there, so awesome. fine there. Nice. All right, so before we do a trivia question for you guys, you got to tell us now, which coach would you play for in the Final Four and why? No fashion under consideration, Tisha. Okay, we I'm know you would say, pick Mulkey if that was the case. I'm going to say Kim Mulkey because she played point guard. And I love her toughness. I mean, not to say the other coaches are not tough, but I just love her fire, desire, passion. You can tell she loves those kids. Uh, I mean, it's really a hard question to answer, almost as hard as who would I pick to play with yeah. because all four coaches are Hall of Fame coaches. I mean, Kelly Graves will be one day. and But I think I'll go with Kim Mulkey. Now, I'm curious. Kim Mulkey doesn't have a true point guard this year. 
Um, Chloe Jackson has done a great job. How hard is it to transition a player that had not played point guard to what Chloe is doing now? Very hard. And, I mean, looking at Coach Moki, I'm sure that, you know, Chloe had a hard time to adjust, you know, because yeah. she's she wants so much of you. You know, and point guard, I mean, I might be biased, but to me it's the hardest position to, because you kind of have to get everybody in line, tell people what to do. You have to be a leader, uh, and a lot of times you have to be a leader by example. You have to communicate. You are the bridge between the coach and the other players. So it's a tough position, and if you're not used to it, and then you get in the stage and you have to play point guard, uh, you know, but I know Kim showed her the ropes, and you can see where they are. You know, they're about to fight for a championship, and Chloe, Chloe did a great job. Who would you play for and why? Woo! Well, they have to be Gino or Muffet. They're both protégés of Coach Foster. Shout out to Coach Foster. Okay, okay. Um, so out of those two, I don't know. I don't want to get kicked out of the gym if I'm with Gino or them. So I don't. That's a hard one. <laughs> it's okay. Kick me out of the gym. Uh, but I'll probably go with Muffet. Okay. Why? Just, just to have the experience to play for a woman. Uh, in college, and I mean, she's a, she's a mentor. I know if you guys heard her response the oh, other night, gosh. which you I guys thought. see Muffet's video, right? Give it up for that. Wow. So, I mean, and then was, Barack Obama retweeted her and was like, "You need to hear this." And I was like, "I'm having a moment." Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that I want to know that experience. Her players seem to really like her. It's like a, she brings her players back to coach. So. Just to get a part of that experience. And she's got some dance moves. You guys see her last night yes, after the game? In the heels, too. I was shocked to see Muffet get loose. I was like, okay, coach. Like, she really Muffet, gave us Muffet a Muffet has the best knees in the NCAA history because <laughs> the way she, like, stands. I mean, she's, I know. Those heels. She both squats squat. the whole game. Yeah. Multi squats, too. Yeah. In a skirt. Yeah, yeah. She's the tough. MVP. Well, thank you both for your time and all your great insights. Thanks for having and us. For thank, thank you, guys. And thank game. you for supporting women's basketball. Thank you so much. All right. I think we have our next guest, so we'll get ready to transition once again. If Tarika tells me, I can. You can. See how she see how she does it? You can. You can. All right. Our next guest needs no introduction. Um, she may be a little bit sad today um, because her team is no longer in the uh, Final Four, doesn't, isn't running for a national championship, but... Um, she plays for the Chicago Sky, the WNBA, and UConn great Stephanie Dolson. Come on up, Stephanie. Gosh, we got fashion back to back. We got Tisha. Now we got Stephanie. You look great. Yes, thank you for coming. Come on over on my Oprah couch. Have a seat. Oh, my pants are so tight. Girl, mine too, you know. <laughs> so, we've got some Husky fans in here, right? UConn, I saw no you. No one left yet, no one left. <laughs> they're still alive. They're still they're still spirited. Um, thank you for coming, and, and I know it's tough. You know, one great one great thing about UConn, and Coach Oriyama talked about this yesterday. I was on a panel with him, as he said, you know, the last time we won a national championship, I looked down at the picture of our team, and on the floor below where our team was, we had 32 of our alumni that were there, wanted to be there at the Final Four support. So you guys come and you support each other. The family feeling is great. But that means you feel the losses like last night. Um, what did you see last night happening on the floor that you think maybe cost UConn an opportunity to play on Sunday? Uh, you know, you know, no, yeah, yeah, this is, yeah, this is all about the hot seat. <laughs> all about that. Because you know this program better than any of us. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know. I just think, well, first of all, it's unfortunate that it's always Notre Dame. I just right. wish we'd lose to someone else. Right. <laughs> always right. lose to Notre Dame. It's, we love that rivalry, though, right? Like, who's we? Oh, the, the fans, like me, you know, media. We love it. <laughs> no, I just think um, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, they, they outplayed us. I think they beat us on the boards, which was crazy. Yeah. Um, they played a zone, which I think kind of messed up some of our players' rhythms. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they just they played better. Um, yeah. It's unfortunate. It really stinks. I think although people don't believe it, we were kind of the underdogs this year. Yeah. And we just really wanted them to pull it out for, for them and for their confidence. And I know they worked so hard to get to that point last night. So yeah. it was really hard for our whole section uh, to watch it kind of happen last night. I know. I know. It was sad. I know. It was tough. And, and you know, and you can speak to some of this. I mean, there's pressure, right? Did you, or did you feel pressure when you were at Connecticut to, hey, we are supposed to win national championships, you know, I don't know that there's another con- team in the country that faces that night in and night out. So how do you manage enjoying your college experience, which you had a lot of fun. Nobody ever worried about Stephanie having fun. She had a lot of fun. No, I was kidding. But at the same time, being serious enough and, and being productive on the court and winning that trophy at the end of the year. Yeah, it, it's a lot of pressure. I think people um, know it, but they don't really understand it. Like yeah. Once you're in it, you know like every night – Teams are going to give you their best game. Yeah. They could be last in the conference or whatever, and they'll be neck and neck because they play like it's a national championship game every time they play us. Yeah. And that pressure is hard, but that is what made us so good and what made us individually so good. I think if I went to a school where you know there wasn't as much pressure, I don't think I would have reached my potential. And I think that's why a lot of girls decide to go to UConn because you know – that you're going to reach your highest potential going there because of Gino, the coaches, but also because every night you have to play your best. Yeah. And if you don't, you're going to lose. Yeah. And like you said, if we don't win a national championship, it's that's an unsuccessful season. Yeah. You know, I lost – everyone always asks me how many games I lost in my career. Yeah. And it's 11, okay. which – most people lose 11 in one season. Yeah, like, yeah. But that's to not us, a that's game. awful. Like, that's really? not good. Ooh. That's a lot. Most, co- most programs would take that, right? you like, 11 losses in four years? <laughs> we are. <laughs> I mean, but you lost, what? Two, you won two national championships, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you lost. I lost my first four. two. Yeah, and then my junior, senior year won two. What was the difference when you look back between the, the two that you lost and the two that you won? Like, what is that margin? Yeah. Um, within our team? Yeah. Like, what did you think made the difference of the teams that weren't able to get it done and the ones that did? Now, you did have the addition of, like, Stewie. Right. And I know. It's a little hard. Yeah, and my yeah. freshman year, you could say, it's like, players, but my freshman year, we lost. We had Maya on our team. Right. Oh, yeah. So, it was really that. a Was anomaly. that to Notre Dame? Uh, yeah. <laughs> out, of, out of 11, Sorry. it has been nine losses to Notre Dame, one to St. John's, and one to Bale. No, Stanford. Nine of the 11? I think. Either eight or nine. Maybe two to Stanford. Okay. I and one know. to St. John's, which I remember lot, that one yeah, at home. Lot. That was random. Senior that was random. night. That yeah. was rough. So one thing um, that stands out to me about the best college players this year is a lot of them are post players. Yes. And I'm curious to get your take just on what you're seeing. I mean, there's Kalani Brown. There's Megan Gustafson. You know, like the list goes on. Jess Shepard and Brianna Turner. Like, are you surprised to see that, like, the post players were really carrying college basketball this year? What do you like about some of those players? 
I like a lot about all of them. I'm yeah. first of all proud that it's post players finally yes. that's getting like all yes. the recognition. Okay, can we get some post love in here? <laughs> right. Now that the guards are gone. Right, right. <laughs> um, but like you said, like Gustafson, especially with her efficiency, yeah. like that has been so impressive to me is that she goes in and I don't know her percentage, but I'm sure it's high because she makes a lot of her buckets and a lot of them are hard. Yeah. Um, with Kehlani or Cox, um, uh, McCowan. Yeah. Them I love because they have such amazing size, yeah. but they're mobile. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and they have skill sets. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes as posts, you're either one or the other. You're either yeah. big and just like make layups, yeah. you know, or yeah. you're, you're mobile and you only shoot jump shots. Right. So I think the fact that for all of those girls that they're big, mobile, efficient has been really impressive and, and fun to watch throughout the tournament, but it kind of stinks that I wanted to see the McCowan, uh, Kaylani Brown did matchup. You? Did you I want did. that? Yeah. I wanted to see it. Yeah, a I lot of people did. Yeah. Because it's rare for you to see 6-7 against 6-7, right? And right. Ruthie Heber right. carried her own. You know, I mean, there's right. other post right. players. Christina Nigue didn't make it here, but she's definitely one of the best. But I would have loved to see that big girl yeah. matchup as well. So the draft is next week, and a lot of these post players are going to be looking to go to the WNBA what would you say they, is the biggest difference in the post from what the expectations are in college versus what their expectations will be at the pro level? Um, I think for the posts, it's the strength. I always learned, or I learned, going from college to the pros was like going from children to just grown women. Like, <laughs> like these yeah, women are yeah, grown. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. they're strong, <laughs> yeah. they're physical, they don't care who you are if you're a rookie or a vet. Like, it doesn't matter to them. Yeah. If they want to win, they're going to win yeah. and do what they need to. So I think for me, the first few games and the first season even was just kind of a shock because it was like, oh, I got to get my weight up a little bit. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? I got to yeah. get my strength up. Yeah. So I think for them, that's going to be the biggest shock. Um, and they're going to realize that getting so deep in the paint like they did in college isn't going to be as easy. Ooh, get yeah. that low post mm-hmm. position. You better get the moves, girl. Now, we are right. Get a little hook shot. Right. Now, the other thing we're waiting for in the draft is a couple of players that could come out early. And this is something we're seeing more often now um, in women's college basketball. The WNBA is, if you guys haven't heard, I mean, Jackie Young has the option of coming out. Sabrina Yonescu has a chance of coming out, which means they will leave a year of eligibility to college on the table. Was that something that you think is worth it for the WNBA? Like some people say, okay, well, they're not going to get paid all this money, so why would they leave? But obviously, Jewel Lloyd thought it was time. Amanda Zowie B thought it was time. Like a lot of players are starting to make that decision. What do you What do you think about that? What's your take? Um, I, I think it's all personal. Yeah. I mean, I know for me, um, like if I had the choice, I wouldn't have. Because for me, it was the college career was the goal at that point yeah. you know even if I won the, my national championship junior I wanted another one yeah you know for certain players like Sabrina I mean if she goes back to Oregon don't they get like everyone back right they have a very yes. good chance of winning the national championship next year and yeah. I think that this year she got such a taste of the final four that you don't know what she's gonna do yeah um so I think it's a decision it's a hard decision I can't imagine making it um but I know the other side of it is if you stay, there's a potential of getting hurt. You know, your draft could go down. You yeah. could go to a different team. Like, just so many things could happen if you choose not to go. So yeah. I wouldn't want to make that choice. Yeah. I'm glad I just went four years and was done. Yeah. You know, made it simple. But yeah. I'm as excited as probably fans and everyone else is to see who goes 
uh, to the WNBA and who doesn't. And we found out last night that Sabrina had 24 hours. Right, so when Sabrina, did that end? <laughs> 24 hours, yeah. So basically I think it starts once the final buzzer of her last game is done. She has 24 hours to decide if she's going to go to the WNBA. So hopefully she was already thinking about it, which she said she wasn't. Um, but we'll be keeping our eyes peeled. Questions for the audience for Stephanie. Anybody have questions for Stephanie? Tarika, bring you the mic. No. If I'm not, you no, know, I'll keep going. Right here, right in the front. <coughs> if you could at all, would you change anything about your journey, transitioning from UConn into the WNBA? Um, was there anything you would, if you got a redo, that you could, you would like to redo? Would you Within change my career? Yes, like um, basically from college on to WNBA. Would you do anything differently at UConn? Would you do anything now, now that you have some experience under your belt? The question is, would Stephanie have done anything different about her journey, UConn or in the pros, if she could go back and change anything? Hmm. That's a tough question. Um, I feel like my go-to answer is always like, don't eat as many cookies or something like that. But <laughs> I still eat cookies, so that's not going to happen. Um, I don't know. I don't think so. I think I truly loved every moment of my career. Like, my first couple years at UConn were a struggle. Um, I used to go home all the time. I was not miserable, but I was scared. Like, I didn't think it was for me. I, I didn't think I was right for it. Um, and then I had a talk with Gino, and it just kind of changed my whole kind of perception of the school. And and the journey that I was going to have. And then that's kind of what flipped the switch. And then it went into the other, you know, winning national championships and then getting drafted. Like, I never even thought I was going to get drafted to the WNBA. In high school, I didn't, I wasn't expecting to come this far. So I've enjoyed every moment of my journey. So I don't think I'd change anything. Now, we know one thing about you off the court is you are, you love fashion. I mean, I just want her to shop for me because I think people don't understand how hard it is to find clothes when you're our size, okay? Um, I've got a 38 inseam. I don't know what yours is, but you got long legs too. But you always look amazing. Um, why is fashion something that you're so passionate about? And what should tall girls, we always hear from parents of tall girls, and they're like, my daughter doesn't stand up straight, or she doesn't like being tall, or she hates it, which I got, I get that because I hated it. Right, you hate same. it. Right. So how does that fashion part playing in play a part in, you know, also being a tall woman? Um, I think for me, it was just kind of it was part of my process of like gaining my confidence. I think when I was younger, I wasn't super confident, but I still wore crazy colors or like bright colors. Because yeah. for me, I'm also an artist. So I like the body is kind of like a blank canvas. Yeah. You know, and I think that's why it's fun to just kind of dress up. Every day could be like a different outfit, a different personality, you know? Yeah. And for me, that was something that helped build my confidence because I realized that it was fun. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to being tall and finding clothes, I just would tell girls they got to be creative. Yeah. That's what I did. I, I go to thrift stores. I go to the men's section in like forever 21 like just random yeah. places you yeah. just find pieces that work for you and now the short pant is in though true i wore a short pant it came up to here and i was like you know i just throw a booty on and it's cute That's now. It. Yeah, yeah it's in like, yeah kind of look like giants in shrunken clothes yeah but high waters yeah no exactly. always afraid of those high waters but it's but. part of the trends now so yeah we're going you, with it you always look great Thank you always you. look great all right we've got one we more got question one more from the audience from the audience yes 
Pie. I just want to know if you're still using music and dance to get hype for games. What was the question? She says she wants to know if you're still using music and dancing to get hype before the game. Oh, always. Always. Sometimes I have to tone it down because <laughs> I've also learned about myself that if I get too hype, that I am just unfocused in the game. So I'll just do crazy stuff. And then so I kind of simmer it down now. Yeah, just a little. Just a little. I put like half hype, half game face. And who are you listening to now, like pregame? Like who do you, I know you're off season right now, but who's your go-to, like get hype? Yeah, um, I go up and, I go back and forth, but it's usually um, like ratchet stuff. <laughs> right, right now it's probably City Girls. Anything okay. City Girls. Okay. Drake is always a go-to. Okay. Um, Cardi is always a go-to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, Cardi I'm will have you ready person. for the game. Ready to break up, get out of your relationship. Right. Ready to go get a side job. Right. Um, ready to twerk. Ready to twerk. You know, Everything. all of the above. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Stephanie Dolphin. Yay. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing oh, this. Thank you. Yes, thank, thank you. Oh, wait, we have one more question for you. Uh -oh. Who's going to win on Sunday? Notre Dame or Baylor? Oh, he said Baylor. Uh, oh, Baylor. Of course. She's not picking Notre Dame, right? Like, wait, There's no way the she's picking Notre Dame, oh, Notre right? Dame. Yeah, Notre Dame. No. Thank you. Great job. All right, who we got next? Michelle? We have Michelle and Charlie. Both at the same time. At the same time. All right. And then we have a special guest that I'm going to tell you about that you ain't ready for. Oh, okay. Well, first up, um, two of the best writers that I know, I steal all of their information when they're writing stuff on ESPNW. Charlie is our bracketologist. And Michelle Smith is another writer for women's basketball. Welcome, Michelle. Are you here with W this time around? NCA.com. And Charlie Cream. Hey, Charlie. How are you? Good to see you. Come on over. Um, first of all, let me just tell you guys that these are two people you should know if you don't know them because we're always talking about how much coverage we want for women's basketball, right? Like, we need more coverage. We want to know more about the players. Well, Charlie and Michelle are two people that are in the trenches, always trying to get more exposure for our game, writing feature pieces, previews. Um, tell us where we can find your work and kind of what you're doing right now at the Final Four. And give us your Twitter and all that too, because we want to, we want to, you know, you might have some new fans out here. Uh, at, we'll start with the Twitter, at Charlie Cream. It's pretty easy. And right at the Final Four right now, I kind of take on a different role than that of bracketologist that I do most of the season. Uh, at this Final Four, I'm writing news stories, doing some analysis, You'll be able to check out uh, a roundtable that myself and Andrea Adelson and Michelle Vopel put together previewing tomorrow night's game. That'll be online uh, first thing tomorrow, and that'll be kind of our, our look at the championship game. So those are the kind of things I'm doing at the Final Four. Uh, running around t today, actually, just was a gopher. I ran around and grabbed some quotes for Michelle Vopel. So uh, even even bracketologists have to get a little dirty sometimes, too. Yeah, we all have to bow for Michelle Vopel, right? Like, she's like the queen. So anything Michelle asks me to do, ask me for, I usually do as well. So, uh, Michelle, 
Well, all right. So Twitter is at MaxSmith413. And um, I am kind of a girl of all trades these days when it comes to women's basketball. So I am here this weekend working for NCA.com, doing some features for the NCA website. During the season, I do work for Pac12.com because I'm a West Coast girl and I've got to make sure that people are paying attention to West Coast hoops. And then during the WNBA season, I do a weekly column on WNBA.com called Inside the W where I do some work, and then I do, I kind of do have freelance jobs while travel. So you will see me on ESPNW from time to time. I've done some other work for some other outlets, but when it comes to women's basketball, if I can tell a story, I'll tell it for almost anybody. Yes, you will. And she's one of the best. And while we have you, just want to say congratulations on your Mel Greenberg Media Award. Thank Michelle you. Michelle won Thank this year, much. which is huge, which you're very deserving of it. Over 20 Thank years you. of coverage for women's basketball. Absolutely. All right, so let's get the scoop. We need the scoop. Both of you have been in all the press conferences. You've been hearing all the remarks from the teams. Let's start with last night. Um, what was the consensus about Oregon's loss? you know, in their first Final Four, but then also UConn's loss. Like, how did both of the two teams handle, you know, what happened and, and kind of what is the feel from the general media perspective? I'll hop in on Oregon because they're yeah. a West Coast team. Yeah. Um, so I think Oregon, you know, the big question after the game was about Sabrina Unescu and whether or not she's going to be back because yes. I think if Sabrina comes back, everybody thinks that this is a team that might be back in this Final Four next year. Um, they're going to have almost everybody back. Uh, their point guard, Maite Cazorla, and Odie Gleitner moving on. But other than that, they're going to have that that core group intact. So I think waiting on Sabrina's decision about what she wants to do is going to be a big decision. And fair to her, last night was not the time for her to make it. No. But with a really quick turn to the WNBA draft, I think we're going to know in the next couple of days whether Sabrina's coming back for her senior year. And I'm going to say I hope she does. What is your feel from Like if you had to just... Because here's the thing about Oregon. I've covered them the last couple of seasons, and I've actually got to go to Eugene. I've been in a regional with them, and they have a lot of fun as a team. Like, they really generally love each other so much. Uh, Kelly Graves, like, makes the environment fun, and they have a great style of play where they get to shoot the ball, and they're up and down the court. So, and, and without with most of the team back, and they get Satu Sabli's sister, who's a beast. Right. Um, and, you know, all of that, like, why not try to do it again? Well, and I think I kind of wanted to see how this was going to go this weekend. And for them to play in this game last night and to play so close, I mean, they were in it until the final minute or two. And so I think that's got to leave Sabrina hungry, like there's unfinished business. Yeah. So I feel like that that's a compelling case for her to come back and bring this back and do it again because they were this close to a title game. And it's hard, I think, to walk away from that and not try and do it again. And Sabrina was 0 for 7 from the field in the fourth quarter. So you'd like to think she may want to get some revenge maybe um, next season. Charlie, UConn is, is different, if you don't mind taking that angle, in where we're starting to say, wow, UConn lost in the Final Four again. Um, was there like a single game evaluation of what happened to UConn? Or are people now looking at the program saying, okay, What's what's happening? Well, I think not that that's fair. No, but. it's not. It's not fair. And I think most people, most fans, most media members look at it in the bigger picture. Like, what's going on with UConn? Three years in a row. Oh, the the sky is falling. I think UConn, the players, the coaches, they look at it as each individual team is its own unique entity and maybe lost for different reasons. Yeah. And 
it when you step back a second and you realize that this the this pair of seniors, Collier and Samuelson, lost five games in their entire career. It just so happens that three of them were in the national semifinals. It puts a little bit more perspective to it. And I'm always taken aback or amazed, I guess, in a positive way by how well UConn has handled these losses these last few years. There's not a lot of, uh, you know, kicking the wall and screaming and yelling and blaming someone else. It's, hey, we just didn't get the job done. And in the case of last night's game, they just didn't shoot it very well. They had open looks. They had opportunities. If they make a couple more three-pointers at any point during that game, we're having a different conversation. I really believe that. So I'm always... I'm always very interested in see how UConn's going to handle losing because it doesn't happen all that often. And they, they really do handle it very, very well. Yeah. And I think it's something that the program can, can hang its head on too. Not something I think any program wants to get used to though. Right. And yeah. if it doesn't give you the perspective of how hard it is to do this every year yeah. and how hard this run of championships was. So for three years, they haven't won a championship and the sky is falling, right? It is so hard to do this. Everything in a tournament bracket's got to fall right. The matchups have got to be good. You got to be healthy. You've got to have you got the ball's got to fall into the net. It, this is so hard to do. So if this doesn't leave you with greater appreciation for what UConn has done, then you're not paying attention because this was a really really hard thing they did for a long time. And the fact that they haven't won shows just how hard it is. I think. Yeah. And Gino warned us all along the, the yeah, time that they were winning all those games and all yeah. those championships. He said, it's not really this easy. Trust me. Yeah. And we're seeing that the, the guy really does know what he's talking about. Yeah. Well, and the rest of women's basketball is getting better, right? Like, the rest of the landscape is getting better. So I asked the question the other day because, you know, we all, we always give honor and respect for the great Pat Summit because our game would not be here without her. But will we ever see the days of the dominant UConn in Tennessee anymore? I don't think so. Like, I think it's going to be very hard because the coaching in the game is getting better. Our players are getting better. There's going to be a lot more parity as time goes on. I think I think players have choices about where they want to go and where they think they can win. I mean, look no further last night stylistically than Oregon and Baylor, right? If you're a player that's going to thrive in Oregon's system in a fast-moving offensive system, Oregon is a place for you. If you're a big and you want to play old school in the block, basketball, Baylor's a place for you. Players have now these incredible choices, I think, at various places they can go that might fit their style, that might fit where they want to be geographically. I mean, how many years do we talk about all the California players that didn't stay home? And how many of those kids are now staying home? And how the Pac-12 is reaping the rewards of that with all of the teams they're getting into the Sweet 16 and whatever. So I think actually the days of those dynasties are probably behind us, but you know, we say that. You never know. You, you never, never know. know. Okay, we're going to take a, quis- a question from the audience for our experts in one second, from our experts. But first, I want you guys each to answer two individual questions. Um, Charlie, I'll start with you. Size up the matchup on Sunday. What's going to make the difference in whether Notre Dame wins or Baylor wins from what you've seen behind the scenes, what you've seen all season? Uh, what will be the difference for each of these teams? Well, I don't know about you guys, but I am jacked for this matchup. This is a really, really yeah, good it's matchup. Yeah, going to be a good game. Good we game, got the right? two best teams in the country. I think that most people would agree with that. We got two great games last night, but we got the two best teams in the country here playing for it all. Um, I'm super intrigued by not the mat, not necessarily just the matchup in whole, 
but the individual matchups that are going to make up this game and, and will decide who wins, I think. Like, Didi Richards against Arike Ngumboale. Yeah. I mean, we saw what Didi did last night to Sabrina. Can she do the same thing to Arike? That's going to be intriguing. You've got Baylor generally doesn't have to go up against two other bigs. Big. Yeah. They usually have a huge advantage in having either Cox or Brown on somebody smaller. And while Notre Dame's bigs aren't as big as Baylor's, there are still two very powerful and talented post players yeah. in Turner and Shepard. So that dynamic, and if and if one of the other can get the other one in foul trouble and see somebody on the bench, I think that's going to play a, a huge role in tomorrow night's game and deciding who wins. You know what, too? The other matchup that I think is really interesting because of the way they developed is Marina Mabry was not a point guard until last year, right? Chloe Jackson was not a point guard until this year. So both coaches are dealing with some makeshift point guard situations, even though Jackie Young will slide to the point. But Marina has been exceptional in her ability to create offense. So I, I, I'm with you that those matchups are going to be intriguing. The rebounding margin, I think tomorrow night is everything. Yeah. I think the rebounding late in the game is going to decide this game. Is it going to be Brianna Turner who's going to pull down the big board? Is it going to be Kalani? Is it going to be, I mean, I just think that that battle on the boards and who's going to pull that big offensive board or that big defensive rebound in the stretch, I think is going to decide this game. One quick question for you. Yep. I know you've been starting to cover the WNBA draft. If you guys don't know, next Wednesday, seven o'clock, ESPN two, the WNBA draft. That's April 10th. So like four, if you want to know. Days from now. Yes. If you want to know where all these players are going, and please keep up with the WNBA season, Wednesday, 7 o'clock, ESPN2. Um, what has happened with the draft stock of different players, you think, uh, throughout the NCAA tournament, if anything? And what are some players that you're keeping your eyes on? Well, I mean, what's interesting is I think as much as Oregon's waiting for Sabrina Nescu to make a decision, so is Bill Ambeer and in the WNBA. They're waiting because that's going to have a big impact on the draft board, I think. Um, you know, I think that the players that have things you can't teach, Kalani Brown at 6'7", she's going to go high. She's got things they can, you know, the things that they need to work on her game maybe are things that they can coach her into, but they can't coach 6'7". She's going to go quick. A player like Jessica Shepard is super interesting to me because yeah. she's such a hard worker and she does so many things. And maybe on paper, it's, you know, she's not the most glamorous looking player in terms of a draft pick, but you're going to get somebody that does everything for you. Yeah. A lot of teams can use that. Like, I just think it's going to be a really interesting draft night. It's also, for me, one of the deepest draft classes we've had in a long time. I think every team in the first round is going to get an impact player in this draft. Yeah, I, I really think that Nafisa Collier and Katie Lou both went up in that draft stock, right? I mean, Nafisa doesn't probably get the credit she deserves because everyone's focused on UConn as, in general and kind of the trends of this season, but also... Katie Lou gave him the business last night, didn't she? I mean, she was hitting shots from nowhere. We saw that old, healthy Katie Lou come back, so that was something that's good to see. Okay, our last question for our experts will come from the audience. Oh, Tarika's already got the question. Here we go. So I, um, I'm currently in the athletics communications department in college, and I'll be graduating next month. And... Um, I want to go into sport writing for women's basketball and WNBA, so college and professional as a whole. 
what advice would you give to future riders that want to enter into this industry? So the question is, what would they give to future riders getting into the industry that want to cover women's basketball? And before y'all answer this question, the one thing I want to say is my colleagues um, love the game. And it's often a profession when you want to cover women's basketball that is not easy because there are not a lot of full-time positions. We live the freelance life a lot. We don't know if we're going to be working at the Final Four or not. Um, it's hard, you know. I mean, I know we've all done things for either less money or for free to cover women's basketball just to make sure the game is covered and because we love it. So I love your question, but definitely um, it's interesting because it's different. For NBA, NFL, a lot of those sports, we just don't have the number of positions or the number of publications or media entities that are covering women's basketball in the same way. Well, and you are literally looking at two people who have day jobs, yeah. right? So women covering women's basketball for me used to be my full-time job, and now it is, as the millennials say, my side hustle. Um, not a millennial, just taking credit. Side hustle. I like that. Okay. But it is. But I have a day job. I work in education. I'm a director of communications for a county office of education in California. And when I come home from work at night, I sit down in front of my computer and I do stories. And I do stories for Pac-12 or WNBA or whoever I'm working for. But I have a full-time day job, and so does Charlie. Yes, I... And don't start throwing things at me, but I work in the pharmaceutical industry uh, by day, and I do uh, bracketology and women's college basketball uh, on the weekends, at night. Uh, I take my vacations from the day job to do this because I love it so much, and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. In fact, a, a little depression sets in for me the day after the championship game because I just go back to being a sales guy. <laughs> and that's not as nearly as exciting as being here, as going to NCAA tournament games, it's to doing brackets every week and conversing with fans and doing interviews and talking about where teams are going to go. That gets my blood pumping. Selling drugs pays the mortgage. Right. <laughs> selling right. drugs. So all we of got this side by, hustles in selling drugs. Well, and, and all this by way of saying, don't be discouraged because... It is hard. Go and find a great website that you want to do and be prepared to work for almost free for a while and make deadlines and get to know players and make contacts and things. And so all this by way of saying don't get discouraged, but Charlie and I will both tell you that it's not easy out there right now, or especially in a sport that needs more coverage. Yeah. I gave a little spiel yesterday when I got my award. Cover women's basketball. Like, I want to implore sports editors at internet sites and newspapers and whatever not to forget about covering women's basketball but there are not a lot of full-time jobs out there doing it so just be prepared to be flexible be prepared to freelance and be prepared to get your experience where you can get it and don't worry about whether or not it's your job because for us it's a passion and we pay the bills another way yeah and if you if you love the game which i'm assuming you do it's going to automatically you're going to be prepared. I think you're, you, you know and embrace things that are your passion. So you're going to be prepared. And if you're prepared, then you can do what Michelle said. You can do anything. You can zig. If you need to zig, you can zag. If you have to zag, you can pick up this, this gig on the side, even though maybe it's not in, in quite in your wheelhouse. But if you're prepared because you know the game so well and you love the game so much, you'll be able to do it. You'll be able to do it well. And then maybe somebody else notices that. And then you then you build on that. It's, it's it's building blocks. When when I started doing bracketology back in 2003, it was a really small thing. 
at ESPN. It was extra content. It was interesting, but it didn't have a lot of footing and it didn't have a lot of backing. Well, now it's it's so much bigger, and it's I'd like to think it's it's helped generate some more interest in the game, and and I know it's given me an even greater passion for the game going the other way. So I just. Use that passion, that love for the game to to always be ready and always be prepared to do whatever you can. And now Charlie's famous. That's the part he left out. So that's been nice, too. Uh, what were your brackets? What were you on your brackets this year? 64 out of 64? Oh, I killed it this year. Uh, yeah, 64 out of 64. 64 out of 64 teams he picked. <laughs> All right. So before I let you guys go, really quickly, if you can help me reel this off, um, we got ESPNW, obviously ESPNW.com, some other publications that are covering women's basketball. High Post Hoops, yep. WNBA Insider, um, Hoop Girls, Hoop, Hoop, her Hoop, hoop Stat, her, her Hoop Stat. Oh yeah, who, yeah her Hoop, hoop Stat. That's a great it's, website if you're really into the numbers yep. and the analytics. Her Hoop Stats, awesome site. Check yep. it out. And then more and more, and I'll just put a plug in. More and more places are providing their own content, which is where I'm finding a lot of my work these days. So Pac-12.com, WMAA.com, NCAA.com, the leagues and things, they know that they need to provide their own content now. And so that's a lot of the work that I'm doing as well. Charlie Cream, Michelle Smith, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the game. Thank you. Now, I don't even know who's coming up next. Thank you, guys. Now, I Thank told you. y'all that I I don't even know who's coming up next, though. So she's going to have to, Tariqa's going to have to tell me who's coming up I, next, but I don't even know. I need y'all to know, when I tell you that we have special guests, you have to believe me, okay? Because coming to the stage next, we have three of the most prominent Hall of Famers in women's basketball that I could ever imagine. We have Teresa Edwards, Dawn Staley, and Lynette Woodard right Woo! now. Wow, Tarika! I look, I look, I we need, need real one more mic. We need we one more mic. One more yes. mic. What? You made time to come up here, Don. Look at this. Yes. I appreciate you doing this. Thank you. You did, Lynette Woodard. What? Y'all bringing in all the stars. How are you? Thank you. We got one more microphone for you guys. So we got everyone got their own mic. Wow, what did I do to deserve this? Wait, on top of this, I just want to tell y'all right now, on top of this, I met and interviewed Cheryl Miller this week, okay? Never met her before. Katrina McClain came and onto the podcast. I was like, what in the world? I mean, I'm going to be smiling like this the whole time y'all up here. Um I would, first of all, ask for some dirt on each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, we might have to get into Never. It. I was just going to say. Never. She'll, she'll spill it. Um, thank you guys for making time to be here. I guess you have been around each other all weekend. I saw the picture with you, with, with you know, Cheryl and all of them. What does it mean for you guys to be able to get together at the Final Four and reminisce and, and do all this and see each other? Well, I mean, it's always a great thing. I think this is, this is history sitting up here, and I – I know, I know a lot of probably the people who are participating in the Final Four, the, the players, they don't know why they're able to play in Final Fours is because of these young ladies yes. that are sitting next to me. Yeah. So anytime I have an opportunity just to, just to lend our history to our young people, I want to do that. I know a lot of people that I, I tweeted a picture because uh, I was fortunate enough to be around 
some of our game greats. These are the, the, the women who yeah. laid it on the line. Yeah. The women who are still alive and kicking and, and, and trying to um, teach us, the younger generation, although I'm not that much younger than them. <laughs> I'm, still a, younger, I'm still a younger generation um, coach who are just trying to spread the love of this game who provided us, you know, it fills our heart. Yeah. To be able to coach and impact young people the way that we have. Yeah. Lynette, what, bring, what brings you here? Like, what brings you to the Final Four right <laughs> well, actually, now? Uh, I really enjoy the game. And yeah. uh, just to be here, to see friends, and just watch everyone enjoy the uh, Final Four, to see the stadiums feel the way they were, or they, yeah. the way they are. Yeah. You know, when I think back the way it was when I played, uh, it was no, it was, it was not even near the amount of people, uh, as you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, but T... Right here, five-time Olympian, ladies yes, and gentlemen. Yes, yes, I was with her in her first two. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I used to drag her around and make her do things, and really I wanted to stay in the background, but she drugged me up here today. What? I would have been mad. There's no background right. for you now. There's no background no, at all. But, uh, you know, I just enjoy everything, and, and just to watch, to see how the game has grown and just to see uh, all the festivities, uh, it's really a joy. Awesome. Well, we're you glad to her, her first two. I was with her her last two. Exactly. Who if you had one of y'all in the middle, middle, I'd have five gold medals right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you were with all the generations, right? T, what brings you to the Final Four? Well, first of all, the the history of the game brings me here. Yeah. Um, being with the Hoop Hall of Fame and allowing myself to be, um, to hang out with Katrina, like you said, Cheryl, Ann Myers, Nancy Lieberman, and Lisa Leslie. It's like coming home with my friends and hanging out. It's also great to be around, around women's basketball, as Lynette mentioned. The growth is tremendous. Yeah. You know, the stage is huge. And we look we look to look out there and see, can we see glimpses of ourselves? Yeah. We look to see if we can see glimpses of the future, something we've never seen before. And we should be here. We should be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves for a long time because we were we had great stakes in it. Absolutely. We wouldn't be here without them, right? Yes. Um, Lynette, you mentioned this. Now, I would love to start with you, how the game has changed, wow. you know, from, um, from when you all played it. Faster, in terms of what, bigger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but really just the participation. Yeah. Uh, when I started playing basketball, I was the only girl on the court. Uh, there were no AAU programs. There was just nothing uh, going on. And uh, I don't know how the good Lord put it in my heart to continue, but I just love to play. And, you know, every whenever I found someone that played and loved the game as much as I did, I always tried to stay in touch with them. But it, wasn't, it was very few, to say the least. But one thing for sure that I know that every player has, and that's a dream. And that's what I started with. You know, I'm from Kansas, the land of Oz. you got to follow the yellow brick road. And uh, <laughs> mine was on the basketball court. And I know that every player here... Uh, everyone that aspires has a dream, and if they can hold on to that dream, you know things can't uh, they can't come true. Yeah, absolutely, so it. love it. Other you too, in terms of what you're seeing on the court versus when you guys were playing in Final Fours. I didn't have a three point shot, so oh, you know, that's why there was no rule changes. <laughs> there was no three point line. There was none. <laughs> Well, so Oregon would have been messed up then, right? There was no three point line. I don't know if they would have made it here. 
Um, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of um, a Final Four as a player and as yeah. and as a coach, a national championship uh, coach. Okay, let's, let's throw that in there. Right okay, now, yes, yeah. <laughs> oh, let's not forget our next Olympic coach. Oh, yeah, and that too. Let's that make too. sure we all know that coming up. Coming all right, up. this is another piece of history just sitting up yes. here. And it's huge. It's huge to the women game. Yes. Um, I, I think the the game has grown. Yeah. I, I think what has helped. Our our college game is the fact that the WNBA has been around for uh, a couple of decades. The fact that the ABL gave women an opportunity to play professionally during the traditional time of, of a basketball season. And what we're seeing now on the collegiate level is a lot of growth, a lot of athleticism, a lot of players who are just cerebral and, and understanding the game and how it needs to be played. I think what they've done is they've pushed coaches uh, to their limits of, of understanding how to teach them, how to help them grow, how to help them mature in the game. And a lot of that really is, doesn't take place on the court. A lot of it takes place off the court. Um, cause we do spend a lot of time, uh, a lot less time exiting and owing and more time is just making sure their mentality is right, making sure their character is intact. Uh, because if you, if you fight your process, it's just going to take you that much longer to grow and to learn into being, you know, a, a, an adult that can make adult decisions. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a lot of growth that's taking place and a lot of coaches are getting better because of, uh, the, the talent that they're coaching. Yeah. T, um, what impresses you about the two teams we have left? Okay, we're down to two. We're down to two, right? So everybody better pick a team between now and then. All the Yukon fans and Oregon fans that were in here crying when we started this podcast, you got a little bit more time to pick a team. Um, but Notre Dame and Baylor made big plays. I think there's a lot of talent out there. There's a lot of athleticism on the floor. Yeah. Um, Baylor started out the entire season taking, you know, making everyone take notice. Right. And they've arrived. And um, I think both teams represent their coaches very well. Yeah, those yeah. are some those are some quality coaches. There are some competitive coaches. They're very cerebral, as Dawn mentions a lot, and their kids are just like them. Yeah. I think the game is going to go down to the wire. At the same time, I also think that Baylor has another notch that we didn't see, which is scary. Oh. I didn't think we. I didn't think they played their best game. Oh. So because I've seen them play all season. So, the, but but the debate, the, the real debate, has been between offense and defense, right? Yeah. Because Notre Dame has really been the best offensive team, and Baylor has been the best defensive team. So, which one? Because the women's game, and we had this discussion a little bit earlier for you guys that were here. After Arike Gumbawale hit that shot, right. we were like, maybe offense is better than good defense because she was guarded <laughs> now. Okay. Um, so, what do you think about those two things? Offense, defense. What's win? When wins it? I give this one to, I'm going to defer this one to Dawn. Hey, it's both. It's both. <laughs> right. Okay, Lynette, you're saying it's both. No, no, it, okay. is, it is both. I mean, you've got to put the basket, I mean, the ball in the basket. Yeah. And, and one thing that Arike does, she has a pulse for the game. She is one of those kids that has proven that when it's time to um, get it done, 
I don't care who's in the building, where we are, if we were in a playground or if we are in a, an, an arena, this kid fills the game, she takes over, and then she's poised enough to pull herself back and let the team get back on course. Yeah. That's powerful. I haven't yeah. seen that in a long time, actually. So I, I admire that about what Notre Dame brings to the table. And not to t- diminish any other player's role on that team because that's a great team. Yeah. But at the same time, Baylor has, no, like, you don't know who's going to step up. Yeah. Like, it just comes out of left field. Oh, oh, she's getting off right now. She, oh, oh, geez, big girl in the middle is working. Yeah. You know, like, it's so exciting it's, it's basketball. And we saw that yesterday because what I thought was most impressive about Baylor is when Dee Dee Richards got in foul trouble and had to get off Sabrina Unescu, they still kept her from scoring in the fourth quarter, 0 for 7 from the field. So that, that defense runs deep. You know, yes, yes. that defense runs deep. Were you going to raise your hand? I'm sorry. No, no. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, this well, is, well, go ahead, well, well, we sorry, got Dawn. beat by Baylor twice. <laughs> by an average of probably, <laughs> by an average of at least 26.5. Yeah, tell us about that. Look, look. So, how did you bring, tell us about so, that. <laughs> what about Baylor made them so dominant in those games? I mean, Baylor has levels and levels and levels and levels of talent. Yeah. Um, on both sides of the ball. Yeah. I mean, obviously their height, their length, their girth, um, they're, they're really hard match. I mean, I think I told somebody this. You can't come up with a game plan, a defensive game plan that can guard that for 40 minutes. You can't. It's impossible. You just gotta hope they're missing shots. You gotta hope they're, they're turning the ball over and you hope you gotta get one of those bigs in foul trouble. That ain't happening. Okay? <laughs> None of happening. the above. None of the above. <laughs> but at the same time, you look at Notre Dame. They are an experienced team. They've yeah. been here. They've yeah. been to the national championship game. They've 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 hit big shots. They're not a. Fl- they don't flinch. They were down by nine yesterday. Yeah. And I I take a look at you know the bench decorum. I look at how players you know just their behavior out there. They they exhibit championship behavior no matter what situation they're in they're in. And and it goes to show and I, I did see this is what I did see. Early on in the Baylor game, when they got down by I think it was six or seven points, I saw I saw Kim. She started reaming in on the, the officials. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's a situation that she really hasn't been in a lot this season. So you got to put Baylor in situations in which they haven't been uh-huh. in a long time. They haven't felt, haven't been that way since probably last year yeah. uh, when they lost in the Elite Eight, I believe, yeah. or the Sweet yep. 16. So, I mean, it's a chess match. Yeah, It's a chess match between both coaches that's, that's going to be decided by what players can make plays at the pertinent time. Notre Dame was able to make plays against UConn at the most perfect time in the game yeah. because UConn went up by, by eight or nine. Yeah. Yeah. And timeout was called. Notre Dame came out and went on like an eight, eight oh run. Yeah. And, yeah. and both of them, you know, they put UConn in positions where they hadn't been in a long time too. So I am so happy. To be, because usually I don't even come to the final four. Once you get a taste of coming to a, to the final four as a coach, you don't want to and, and playing and participating. You don't want to see it any other way. Yeah. To, to be quite honest, yeah. so I'm happy. I'm I'm here. I'm gonna go to the game tomorrow, and I, I hope it doesn't come down to a a game winning shot. My heart can't take it. I got too much of that <laughs> Me with my own team. Women's Me basketball either. can handle that though. <laughs> I could yeah. I could take last night down the stretch. Rick, where you at? 
I mean, I was like, I don't think I can watch this. My okay? blood pressure was all the way yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I all can't handle another Enrique game with I just can't do it. Um, we're going to take a question from the audience, but I want to ask you guys about history. Because we like to pass that on in our podcast. Share with us a couple of players that impacted the way you saw the game early in your career when you were playing. Um, like yesterday, Cheryl Miller schooled me because I was talking about the evolution of the power forward position. And she said, uh, no, ma'am. Katrina McClain used to take that thing off the rim and get it all the way up the floor, no problem. So we've been doing this, okay? Um, but tell me about a couple players that you guys that were impactful in history that we should know. Um, I'll start with Ann Myers. Um, yes. She played at UCLA when I was at yes. the University of Kansas. Um, I saw Ann try out for an NBA team. I was watching the 6 o'clock news and sports came on. And she had tried out for the Indiana Pacers, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, right. uh, I think her brother had played for them. But she, she tried out for this team. And what I took from that was, yes, a female can play for a male team. Yeah. And I had the dream of always playing with the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. So really that moment cemented what, was I, what I was thinking in my heart. Yeah. And for me to see that, it was a done deal. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you have dreams like that and you're speaking about things that are not on the horizon, sometimes you can be made fun of. Yeah. But I didn't let any of that bother me. I stayed and held, you know, what was in my heart. And because I saw her, it came true for me. Love it. And we love Annie. We had her on the podcast, too. Okay, other players. Who impacted you guys early? Well, honestly, I, I was one of the youngest ones on the first Olympic team that I played on. And I, I had the pleasure of meeting Lynette for the first time on that team. I never knew she existed because we didn't get this what we have today. Between her and Donovan and um, Janice Lawrence, it was just over, like, influx of information it was school i had to go to school she did me like come on kid all the time what are you doing you know and to me to look back on that it cemented a lot for me and really how i should carry myself how i should carry the game how hard i should work yeah um and not to expect to play but i got through it because of her that's awesome awesome and for me it's it's therese edwards um I um I was a part of her last two Olympic games and um the uh, baton was passed down to me although we were we were competing we were competing kind of for the same spot. T was a, an incredible point guard. She was a two guard um during her college career but once we saw how well she passed the ball, how well she facilitated, how well she just commanded the game um, she got moved over to my position, so it made it really hard, <laughs> really hard. Um, the most competitive player, person that I've ever played with or against or coached with or against. Yeah. The most competitive. Um, I mean, her mental strength is off the charts. Yeah. You know, a lot of people talk about what they can do on the court, but before you can take your game to another level on the court you have to have you have to strengthen your mentality yeah your mentality never have i met a person who endured so much mm-hmm. I, I can't even mention any of it but she's endured so much to be a five-time olympian um, i can't thank her enough for the contribution she's given to the game to myself um 
And if you like numbers, if you like numbers, go look at in, in 1996 when we host the Olympic Games in Atlanta. Go look at her stats. Go look. They're off the charts. Wow. Points, assists. And then she helped me get my first gold medal. So she's always forever indebted in my heart. Can I drop the mic on that? Can you drop the mic on that? Yes. And we saw T yesterday. Now, for those of you that weren't at the shootout, soon as the, she touched the court, that basketball came out. I mean, her expression changed and she was ready. I was like, T is out here to, took over, was sweating and everything. So, that, no, no, hey, hey, you did your thing. All right, we got a question in the audience. Isis, yes, hey. Hi, I'm Isis Young. I just finished playing at Syracuse University. My question is, what can be done to grow the WNBA from a fan's perspective and from a business perspective? What can be done um, to grow the WNBA from the fans' perspective? And what's the other, ISIS? You said from a fan perspective and business perspective. What can be done to grow the WNBA? Um, I, I think continued time and, and belief. Uh, women get to play during the, the primes of their careers now. Imagine, imagine if the NBA was just getting started when Michael Jordan was 21 years old, there wouldn't be an NBA. But because the NBA has has stood the, the test of time, we got to see, you know, some of the greatest players play. It is belief. You got to put money behind it. You got to put marketing behind it. You have to put people who, who, who are um, chief executive officers. In positions to make decisions to put money behind it, because if if you don't, we'll continue to struggle year to year. Um, and should we play during the traditional t- season? I don't. I don't know. That's a question that you know will never be answered because I think our our market right now is in the summer. Um, we just got to find people that's going to believe in it. What has happened over the past twenty one years? has been quite incredible. But what get, the novelty has worn off. What's going to get us to that next? It is continued belief, continue pouring in financial dollars, continue pouring in support from fans. And we, we have to be demanding as fans, demanding. You know, I think what your voices uh, speak volumes. And you also got to you also got to put uh, people in the seats. Yeah. Um, the more people in the seats make make the product more valuable. Tarika, I think my time is up. Is my I time know, up? I know. Oh, our legends, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Yes. Man, thank you thank guys. You. Thank no, you. Thank guys you guys for giving women's basketball a platform to shine. There are like two million podcasts out there. Two million. I mean, everybody's asked me to be on that podcast. But this podcast is pretty special because you guys give, you tell a, a different story of women's basketball. We appreciate it. Thank Truth you. Truth to power. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. I appreciate that. Please welcome to the stage Natalie Achanwa and Karima Christmas. Yes. Come on up, ladies. Yes. See so we had the legends and now we got the next generation, right, of legends. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Hello. Hi. Come on over. 
Ladies, ladies, thanks for joining. Have a seat anywhere you want. Here, we'll put the non-ESPNW over here. We know, you know, for branding purposes, yes. Um, so first, uh, the questions I've been asking everyone is, what brings you guys to the Final Four? Well, uh, as you can tell by my voice, <laughs> I was at the Final Four game because I went to Notre Dame, uh, and I lost my voice screaming for them at the game yesterday. So uh, a little bit of a vacation, and of course, uh, supporting my Irish. Nice. Karima? I'm just always grateful for our opportunity to see the future of our league. You know, a lot of great players on this platform. Also, my husband, he's a coach on the women's side, so just trying to see his networking skills and, you know, getting out there and just sharing the game with whoever's here. One thing we've heard consistently that I love from our guests is even if they don't have a team playing or they don't have responsibilities, like, they just love the game, right? They just want to come and support the game, which I think is, is awesome. So, We'll start with your Irish, Natalie. Where are my Irish fans? We had a bunch of them in here earlier, right? Well, maybe some of y'all knew, then jumped on the bandwagon. Um, but again, have a chance to be back-to-back champions. What is different or special, in your opinion, about this core group of, well, now seniors and a junior that won it last year and have a chance to do it again? Because there's been a lot of Notre Dame teams in the Final Four, obviously, a lot of them, and that have played well even during your career. But what is different about this team, in your opinion? Their mentality. Um, I think it was around when Skyler started to come through Notre Dame. The level of confidence of the team and the program took another step up. Yeah. Uh, we always talked about we stopped looking at the names on the front of the jerseys, and we just played them for being another basketball team. Um, and I think that – times about 10 is the confidence level that this team has. Uh, you go talk to Marina Mabry or Arike and I mean, they, they, they this stuff. They this yeah, stuff. And they yeah. know they this stuff. And yeah. I think that that's what makes a difference is that uh, level that they play with um, and that confidence that they play with. Because uh, you need that confidence to be able to play in big moments. You need that confidence to take shots like the last two and the last Final Four. So yes. that level um, of bite that they have to their game uh, really takes them up a step. And with Coach McGraw that we saw doing, was that the Irish jig last night? What was that Coach McGraw was Don't talk doing? about my girl like that. I don't know what was going on, but um, she seems to be even more competitive now. Like, you would think if people go on in their careers, it's like they get older, maybe settle in, but she's just as fiery. What is it like playing for Muffet, and how does she get the best out of her players? Well, that challenge. She challenges us no matter what. No matter if we're playing a board game, no matter if we're on the court, no matter if we're playing in a game, it doesn't matter. Um, she will challenge us to be the best individuals that we can. And so when we come to a collective, we're that much better. Uh, everybody knows the story, but every time we have to go to Coach McGraw's place, we have to play a board game, and she always has to win. So that competitive is deep in her. That spirit does will never dwindle. That fire will never go off. So... Um, I also cannot play board games, so I don't know if that grew with her or but that was never, in me as well. You never won, is what you're saying. I was always on her team. Oh, you got to use that. You gotta now, use what game that. did y'all play? Uh, catchphrase was a big one. Oh, we got the, yeah, so we had to split up. And okay. She's ready every time we're over there. But all of y'all are competitive. I wouldn't want to be in that room. I mean, you and Dev and you mentioned Skylar. I wouldn't want to be there at all. Um, Karima, looking at, I mean, I, even though you're someone who just more recently um, you know, left college basketball. I think about your position in particular, the fact that you are kind of positionless, right? And we were talking about earlier how the style of women's basketball has changed. What was it about the way you came along that made you say, okay, I've got to be able to do multiple things? Maybe was it in college, WNBA, to further your career? 
Um, you know, I think that's a lot of the stuff that coaches look for nowadays. And my mindset was I always want to be on the floor, whether it be the one, the two, the three, the four. So I wanted to challenge myself so that when I'm in the position, I can make it the most of it. Yeah. And, I mean, I think just growing up, you know, playing with the players I play with, playing against boys, you know, all my life, playing against my uncles, is something that kind of just was embedded in me to just – be a person that could always have my teammates rely on me. And I think that's something that stuck with me to this day. And, you know, it's very valuable in this league and, you know, growing up. So I just encourage players to be that way and just learn new things and try to play in different positions. And it seems that overseas there are high expectations for American players and that you're expected to carry a lot of load. And so what I see happening is that players come back from overseas and they're doing more things and, you know, their game matures. What has been your experience on the professional side with how you've advanced um, in the WNBA, maybe based on what happens overseas? Because a lot of people don't really know about that aspect yeah. of the game. Um, I mean, when you're going overseas, you're the go-to player. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're an American player or, you know, a foreign player that's playing at a high level, you're going to be the go-to player. So just having that confidence this is something you said. You know, when you go out there, you can't be shy. You can't be like how you play. Because when I started in WNBA, I was very shy. I was very reserved. But you go overseas and you have to be in that position to carry your team most of the time. So I think having that confidence over there and then bringing it over, it just kind of helps your game grow as you go into WNBA as well. You never played reserve. When was this reserve at? I'm like, wait a minute, I remember you. You weren't playing reserve then, so I don't know where that aspect came in. So for both of you having to now make the transition, because we're waiting to hear what Sabrina Ionescu is going to do, what Jackie is going to do, um, what are these players going through right now as they maybe have ended and are getting ready to go to the WNBA or play professionally? What are they going through these next few weeks to, to get ready? I mean, a whirlwind of emotions for starters, um, especially if you're playing in a situation where you are like Sabrina or you are like Jackie, where you're playing in the Final Four and have to make your decision 24 hours later. Yeah. So I can only imagine the emotions they're going through. Um, but in terms of the prep, uh, they'll have the draft. And if you're invited to the draft, um, it's great because you get to do some informational things too, a little bit of a transition of financial meetings, um, some nutrition meetings, uh, and stuff to really try to help that transition that's put on by the WNBA and the WNBPA. Uh, to kind of give them a little spark of what it's going to be like in the WBA. So to give them a little transition uh, meeting a couple days. Uh, and then, of course, the draft, uh, which hopefully should be all excitement um, to have that opportunity to play in the best league in the world. WNBA draft next Wednesday, 7 o'clock, ESPN2. Karima, how about you? What was um, this preparation I'll speak time to the like? other aspect of it because I really wasn't drafted in the first round or invited to the draft. I got drafted in the second round. I actually was working out when I got drafted, and they couldn't get a hold of me because we were so nervous, me and Crystal Thomas. You couldn't watch Yeah, it. we couldn't watch it. So we're in the gym. You know, I got drafted, and I'm getting calls, but I wasn't nowhere near my phone. So I was on the, <laughs> under the thing trying to just be, you know, less nervous, just be on the court doing what I love, and then you find out you get drafted. It's an exciting moment, but I just kind of want to take a step back from it. I have two questions for both of you, um, and we'll take a question from the audience in a minute, but you've both played in big games at various levels of your career. What is happening mentally and physically with these players as they're preparing for Sunday? How do you really get ready? Do you go back over all your plays? Are you watching highlights of yourself when you've done well? Like, are you, like, how do you prepare mentally and physically to play a championship game or in a, in a, a big game like they are on Sunday? Um, I mean, I say 
you kind of just have to go into the game knowing what you're good at and keep doing that. You know, it's nothing to change at this point in time. It's kind of just making adjustments on the defensive end and seeing where you can attack. I don't know. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, even if you're thinking about shoot around on game day or practice today, like Karima said, there's you've been playing the whole season. You're not going to change anything major in the next two days before the championship. So for me, it's really about being loose. Um, it's just like Karima said, knowing what you're good at and sticking to that. Um, and staying true to who you are as a team. Um, yeah. Don't get crazy and try to, like I said, change anything in the next two days. But um, I know it's just about staying calm, staying true to yourself, um, and staying loose. Another big topic in the WNBA right now is the CBA. And I know you guys can't tell us the specifics of what's happening, but uh, if you could just say one thing that you would like to see happen other than making a million dollars, um, out of this CBA agreement, right? Um, if there's one thing that you would like to see happen out of this CBA, what would it be? They got a list of 40 things. They're going through it right now, trying to figure out, okay. What's the no comment? If I left it, we cannot disclose, no. Um, my biggest overall kind of aspect and thought process about the whole thing is Things that we're focusing on as a players association now and changes we're trying to make in the league now are not necessarily for us. It's for the greater picture of maybe my children that might have the opportunity to play in the WNBA. So a lot of the stuff is not going to happen overnight. Um, it's, a, it's a big process. It's a long um, thought process on just trying to get little gains in this one for sure. Um, so that, like I said, down the line, we're building a league that's going to last, a league that's sustainable, um, a league that uh, we can continue to be proud of. Anything? Ditto. <laughs> cosign. Cosign. Tariqa, we have a question from the audience? Yes. Oh, Howard. Hey, Howard. Thanks for coming. Right. Howard Megdal. We talked about high post hoops earlier. Howard Megdal's the brains behind that. Does a lot of great coverage for women's basketball on every level. Yes, Howard. Thank you for everything you do, LaChina. Oh, come on. Um, you know we love this. Prima, Natalie, nice to see you both. Actually, Natalie, question for you. This team, this Notre Dame team, is on the cusp of potentially winning back-to-back and having five players who are either going to immediately or, depending on Jackie Young, eventually be playing in the league. Where do you see they, them ranking in the history of Notre Dame teams? Is this the best Notre Dame team ever? I understand you're comfortable with a certain point of view. <laughs> you already know what class I'm going to say is the greatest class ever. of all time in Notre Dame 2014. Thank you very much. Oh. <laughs> but, um, I mean, the records speak for themselves. Um, Enrique holds the all-time scoring. With that block that Bree had to secure the game, she's now the all-time leader uh, block history at Notre Dame. I mean, the records speak, speak for themselves. As individuals, uh, they've been amazing. Um, they've continued to grow their game every year and just push the envelope of Notre Dame women's basketball. Um, so I definitely think they have secured their um, position in the history book without even completing this. But uh, I'm so excited for them to have another opportunity to go back-to-back. I mean, for Coach McGraw, for all she does for Notre Dame, all she does for females in general, all she does for women's basketball, all she does for across the board, um, yeah. I would love for this opportunity for her to be able to to hold that title of having back-to-back championships. Well, Tarika is giving me the cut face, my boss, Kiki Shepard over here, Not ladies and fault, gentlemen. guys. But Unfortunately, <laughs> Tarni Town has said, you guys have worn out your welcome. Yeah, I gotta go. Thank you so <laughs> I'm much, joking, Natalie, I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, Karima, you guys are the future. So thank you so much for spending for the time us. and thank for, for, for coming us. on the show. Thank you guys so much for the fans, for coming out. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.